I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And uh, this time I'm going to be looking at um, the work of the economist John Maynard Keynes in 1945 at the end of the Second World War and the um, problem that Britain faced, um, the epic financial crisis that Britain faced at the end of the war um, and the attempts that Keynes made to try to remedy this by uh, getting a loan from Washington, D.C. But before we delve into that story, we need to really investigate who John Maynard Keynes was and what his significance was as an economist and political thinker. Keynes was born into a Cambridgeshire family. He was something of the of the middling sort, far from being um, upper middle class or even aristocratic. His his father was a well known economist, and um, his uh, various siblings had um, fairly glittering academic ca- careers of their own. Keynes um, joined the uh, civil service. He went to Eton and uh, Cambridge. He was a scholarship boy at Eton, so again, he wasn't um, part of the the inner circle of the the aristocracy. Um, uh, He went to um, Eton and Cambridge and then joined the civil civil service, Um, but he didn't spend an awful lot of time there. Um, In the years before World War I, he returns to academia and um, his first love really was philosophy, but his um, he appeared he showed he had something of a penchant for economics. Um, but his um, he was um, recalled to government service during the First World War. One of Keynes's very important contributions to victory in the First World War was the creation of a very complicated um, system of financing and guaranteeing loans between Britain and France, uh, Russia, and ultimately um, having this underwritten by America. Uh, This ensured that uh, particularly Russia was able to go on financing and fighting long after the country was bankrupt. And one of the knock-on effects of this is that uh, after February 1917, this degree of, uh, of, of finance really keeps the provisional government um, trapped in the war, uh, unable 
not that the provisional government was even really realistically considering it, but uh, unable to leave the conflict uh, as per the wishes of a great many Russians. Keynes's big break and the thing that made his name was his appointment uh, as a financial representative of the British government um, to the Paris Peace Conference. And it was his general um, contempt for the proceedings or for the outcome of the proceedings that caused him to write his ni- his uh, 1920 book, The Economic Consequences of the Peace, in which he uh, rubbished the um, punishment of Germany, saying that not one significant economic, social or political issue that had uh, faced Europe had been resolved. Instead, the uh, the, the desire for punishment had um, outweighed all these considerations. The question of Russia had, and uh, the new Bolshevik regime had uh, not been addressed. Um, the uh, impending crises in many Western and Eastern European countries uh, that was threatening to plunge many over the over the edge back into um, or into uh, totalitarian government or ignite fresh wars. Um, that was not addressed, and the um, problem of um, devastation, disease, and famine that um, racked Europe in 1919 and 1920 were largely uh, largely ignored and overlooked. Um, the book, uh, the economic consequences of the peace, um, has been was very influential at the time, um, hugely uh, popular. Um, and it was one of the first um, question marks against the Versailles settlement, of which many would follow. Um, if you read The Deluge by Adam Tews, he has a slightly revisionist take on the, um, the, the, the on the economic consequences of the peace and suggests that Keynes may have been slightly over the top in his critique um, and it may not have been quite um, as unjust and disastrous a piece as uh, as we might be led to believe. But for Keynes's purposes, the book elevated him to the level of what we would call public intellectual. He was the, um, the go-to person on the subject of economics. One of his main contentions, and it becomes um, increasingly popular throughout the 1930s, as uh, in, there are various uh, voices in Britain that say, that the Paris Peace Conference and the Versailles Settlement had been too harsh on Germany. His main um, hope was that um, reparations could be set at a uh, a far lower level uh, in order to prevent um, the German population from being, uh, or from deciding to permanently exclude itself from the emergent world system at the end of the war. But this uh, this is something that doesn't happen. Instead, uh, two peers, Lord Sumner and Lord Cunliffe, uh, become uh, part of the uh, the inner sanctum of the, uh, the the delegation, and they set the reparations figure. They were referred to as the Heavenly Twins because they set the figure for reparations at six point six billion uh, gold Reichsmarks uh, as an astronomically high level. He continued uh, in the early nineteen twenties to campaign for a revision of the treaty. Um, and said that the policies that were being introduced around the world in the post-war era, which are not dissimilar to our austerity uh, policies today, 
um, were absolutely ruinous and, and, and disastrous. This, this kind of uh, reducing public spending and tightening belts at a time of economic crisis only served to exacerbate the situation because, as Keynes was later to argue, the level of aggregate demand in an economy was um, the, th- the factor that would set um, the level of, of pros- prosperity. And by dampening aggregate demand, by taking money out of the economy so people can't and won't spend and uh, have no confidence in future economic performance, um, you ensure that the crisis will continue. Um, Keynes, in the 20s and 30s, um, his great contribution to economics um, and the, de- the development, really, of his um, of, of the practice of macroeconomics was um, his challenge to um, classical economic thinking. Classical economic thinking um, that uh, dates back to the 18th century and uh, the likes of David Ricardo and Adam Smith argues that the market operates as an invisible hand. It is there, it is a kind of a self-regulating system, almost a kind of a, a part of nature or in the view of the classical economics economists, um, you know, part of, of God's work. Uh, and it, it regulated itself that um, it made sure that uh, over time, unemployment would be uh, eliminated, and um, th- by simply the the workings of the market, and the less that government could do, so much the better. That when government interfered in the market, um, in, or in markets, that um, problems arose. Neoclassical econom- uh, e- e- um, uh, economists or neoliberal uh, economists of the later twentieth century. Um, the likes of Milton Friedman would later kind of express this as uh, um, in terms of price signals that when a person um, chose to work um, or apply or to um, uh, apply for a, a job, they were essentially sending a price signal into the labour market indicating what their labour was worth, i.e. how much they would work for. If a government offered income support or other benefits to make people's lives um, better or to kind of shield people from the effects of poverty, you were essentially damaging those price signals and distorting them because people would um, demand higher wages or um, prefer to do no work and be subsidised for it than to do work at all. Keynes said, well, this doesn't make any sense. Um, ultimately, the price signals that you're transmitting into an economy don't have any overall outcome in terms of um, sort of de- depression or um, or inflation instead it is the uh, the amount of demand an economy uh, an economy has within it aggregate demand so he proposed monetary and fiscal policies to um, deal with uh, dips in demand i.e recessions or depressions Um, What Keynes argued was that um, government uh, intervention in terms of taxation and spending could take take out the the peaks and troughs of business cycles. So when an economy went into a trough, a government could spend, providing it had taxed when when uh, an economy was going into a peak of economic activity, thus taking the sting out of uh, inflation or the heat out of inflation. This policy meant sure may would not completely eliminate um, 
unemployment or inflation, but it would make sure that the um, the distance between um, the business, the, the peaks of a business cycle and the troughs were greatly ameliorated and, and, and levelled out. So Keynes did see that there was a, a role for government um, in the management of the economy. This is not a, a popular idea prior to the Great Depression, after the Great Depression, um, after the Second World War as well, in the 50s and 60s, it is simply an article of faith that the government has a, a key role to, to play in uh, economic management. Um, much of Keynes's original theories are um, adopted and then developed, and things that Keynes perhaps hadn't advocated um, in terms of the, the role of government transpire in Britain really up until the uh, advent of Margaret Thatcher in 1979. Actually, it's worth clarifying that one particular point, that for much of her first term, Margaret Thatcher um, doesn't um, abandon commitments to, um, the, to welfare state spending. And it's only as the um, Thatcher government's throughout the 1980s, become progressively more radical, and then the major government after it, um, that um, the uh, the strands of the um, post-war consensus are gradually stripped away. And it's throughout the 1930s that uh, Keynesian ideas are far more widely embraced in uh, America than they are in Great Britain. The after nineteen twenty nine, and particularly after nineteen thirty one, uh, the British government engage in uh, very uh, rigorous uh, austerity um, austerity policies. Um, in America, the um, for despite the uh, em- embracing by. Franklin Roosevelt's advisors, the the brain trust of some of Keynes' ideas. The word Keynesianism is never particularly used, and despite the the uh, American government's best efforts, America doesn't really emerge from a depression until the advent of the war. Keynes argued, and this is, I think, really taken on as economic orthodoxy now, that um, the circulation of money... Uh, in an economy would have a multiplier effect um, that if money was uh, injected into the economy in terms of wages for public road building then the workers would very quickly um, spend the money that they had gained it is very unlikely that they would put it into a high interest savings account and keep it away for a rainy day Uh, people who are uh, facing tough economic circumstances normally go and spend on important things right away. The spending would stimulate orders from shops who would want to buy in more of the same stuff, and this would then um, uh, stimulate uh, orders in factories who would then take on workers, and those workers would then spend, and there would be a kind of a uh, a very quick uh, trickle-down effect. Uh, that's must be borne in mind that the trickle-down effect means something really quite different and is used by very different kinds of economic e- economists. Uh, but there would be a uh, a flow of money through um, through society. So every dollar or every pound spent would, um, if in effect, have a multiplier effect, and it would e- equate into many 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 dollars within within the economy, or many many pounds, as each dollar would uh, change hands. 
uh, many times and uh, would be essentially a source of liquidity for large numbers of people. So one dollar printed would equate to perhaps hundreds and hundreds of dollars. In 1936, Keynes wrote the book that he was most famous for, The General Theory of Employment, Interest and Money. Um, and it was his uh, overall argument for um, government intervention uh, in uh, an economic slump. It challenged um, classical um, economics um, that that, that um, put um, absolute faith in the invisible hand of the market. And um, it suggested that uh, markets would not necessarily always create um, full employment and would not necessarily create optimum outcomes for all um, uh, market, um, uh, all players within the market. And the experience of the Great Depression seemed to be- Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Bear out what Keynes was saying. Uh, the slump was longer and um, more pronounced than anyone had had predicted, and it seemed that in America, in Germany, and in Great Britain, that there was nothing um, that individuals or businesses could do, and that really it was down to governments in order to stimulate the economy. And he he argued that um, the old classical way of thinking about things, that workers would simply um, drop their um, labour um, labor costs, the wages that they were willing to accept, um, to a level that employers would, find, would deem acceptable to pay um, endlessly until, you know, essentially the, the employer was satisfied with the situation. Um, he said, well, that, that doesn't happen. Um, there are points where um, the, the unemployed will refuse to drop their um, labour costs, their wages, any lower, partly because it just doesn't make any sense for them to do any work, um, and partly because there are other factors at play uh, in the lives of individuals. They are not what we would call... Um, homo economicus they are not sort of of rational robot-like players in the economy that simply respond blindly to price signals they're human beings they're complex and they have things like dignity um, which um, uh, which uh, means that 
uh, price signals in the economy become uh, conflicted. Throughout the Second World War, Keynes argued that a system of compulsory saving was the, uh, the best way um, to pay for the war. Um, it needed to be financed by higher taxation, um, but forcing the, uh, the workers to save would um, prevent um, inflation. Uh, there would be less money whizzing around the economy, um, and then there would be money that could be spent at the end of the war uh, when these measures were, um, were um, uh, suspended, and that would prevent a slump. And um, whilst these ideas are to some extent taken on board, um, Keynes's greater contribution uh, began in 1944 at the Bretton Woods uh, Conference. Um, Keynes proposed a plan um, in order, it was a kind of a, gr- a grand international Keynesian plan, that would uh, prevent um, the build-up of trade imbalances. So it would create a, such a clearing union for trade imbalances, um, and that um, it then, because he believed that it was ultimately trading imbalances that had led to the war in, in the first place. We have essentially um, countries with too much money and countries with not enough. Um, he, he thought that um, managing international trade um, and, the, uh, and, and creating incentives to prevent the build-up of surpluses or deficits within, within trade would uh, be the best chance at world peace. And in order to, um, to do this, he thought creating a central bank and uh, an international clearing union, uh, which um, eventually becomes, under the guise of the, uh, the United States, who become the, the dominant power, um, the International Monetary Fund. Um, and the International Monetary Fund does not have the same purposes that um, Keynes um, envisaged it, it would have. That's a kind of a slightly different conversation. The World Bank and the IMF um, re- reflected the fact that America had become the dominant partner in the, partner in the Anglo-American relationship, and they were the tools that America was going to use in order to dominate the world economy in the post-war era, and they were not designed to prevent the... Uh, build-up of trade balances, trade uh, deficits and, and surpluses. Um, so the, the stability that Keynes thought he would be able to create in the world economy thereafter never emerged. Um, and the, um, the the price that um, would be paid for the correction of trade imbalances would be paid, paid by deficit countries. So countries that were poorer, that had weaker comparative trading advantages in the first place, would be the ones that would um, be uh, forced to kind of carry the can for the inequities of world trade. In 1945, on the 23rd of August, uh, a meeting at Downing Street, the the Labour government is called together for an emergency meeting. Um, Keynes is invited to the meeting, and um, it's the first great crisis of, of, of um, Labour's six years in office. Um, Hugh Dalton, who'd been the Minister for Economic Warfare and the head of the Special Operations Executive during the war, um, sent a paper around that Keynes had written. Um, they were old friends, Keynes and Dalton. And the paper was called Our Overseas Financial Prospects. Um, it's a pretty despairing um, missive. 
the British uh, Empire was in desperate economic uh, problems at the end of the war with debts that were more than twice the size of Britain's gross domestic product. Um, the uh, savings would be uh, necessary. and But more importantly, uh, financial assistance from America would be uh, important. Keynes referred to this as the, a financial Dunkirk. Um, before, where Churchill, uh, the year before Churchill had met um, uh, Henry Morgenthau, the US um, Trades uh, Secretary of the Treasury, and they had said that um, they agreed with, between them that Lend-Lease would continue during the period between the defeat of Germany and that of Japan. Churchill thought that would buy the British economy enough time to adapt and change, uh, but it was wildly uh, naive. Um, on the 20th of August, the US government um, said that aid shipments would be uh, terminated immediately. And um, this uh, comes as a kind of a, a, a hammer blow to the, the British economy. Um, the problem that Labour faces also is that during, the, uh, during 1945, they had campaigned, obviously, on a manifesto of um, social welfare and a dramatic expansion in the size and the role of the state in health, education, housing and old age pensions, based on the popularity, really, of, of the, the beverage report. Um, how this was now going to be paid for was a, a moot point. And this was one of the, the problems that would dog Britain throughout the post-war era of large overseas spending commitments and a large welfare state and a diminishing pool of resources in order to pay for it. Keynes went to Washington with Lord Halifax, um, he went there um, and to his dismay discovers that Harry Dexter White, who had been his uh, opposite number at the Bretton Woods negotiations and who had stymied most of what Keynes had proposed at Bretton Woods, was on the, the negotiating team. The two um, were um, uh, clashed uh, against one another. Uh, both were in their uh, in their own right, fairly obnoxious. Uh, Keynes was, uh, it must be said, a kind of an egotistical, opinionated and quite boorish individual from time to time uh, who um, thought of himself as a kind of an, um, an iconoclastic genius. And the Americans were not prepared to simply allow uh, Keynes' ego to walk all over them. Many um, uh, Americans who had, American um, negotiators, diplomats, and um, politicians who had been close to Roosevelt throughout the war had been dismayed from time to time that the British had got away with um, um, developments in um, the prosecute in policy um, towards Nazi Germany that was definitely not in America's best interests. And at the end of the war, there was a, a consensus that the British would not be made, would not be getting away with things yet again. Um, Keynes went to um, America. He'd originally suggested uh, securing a commercial loan. He hoped that Great Britain would be given a grant or a gift, and that that gift would reflect Britain's um, loan stance against the Nazis um, in between 1940 uh, and 1941, and that this would be a kind of Britain's reward, if you will. 
Um, but in September, um, it transpires that the Americans aren't willing to uh, roll over and do whatever Britain in, um, insists. And they look at the figures that Keynes presented um, and say there's, there's no chance of you being given a, a gift by us. Um, and there was uh, a, a general feeling in, in across the across America in 1945 um, of mistrust towards uh, the British, and uh, a feeling that the uh, the British might possibly use the money to prop up their empire. Thus, meaning that uh, the Americans would have been perhaps been duped into defending Britain's empire for them. And the um, the the population at large, a poll is uh, is carried out that suggests sixty percent of Americans were opposed to the loan. Um, the uh, two weeks into the talks, um, and Keynes met with Harry Dexter White and the uh, American delegation, um, and the deal that's put on the table is that uh, America would offer five billion, um, uh, but there would be conditions attached. The loan would be, would, uh, be an interest-bearing loan, um, and Britain must follow through on the commitment she'd made at Bretton Woods to make sterling fully convertible. Now, this is the killer. The uh, paying interest is all fine and well, but when but making the pound sterling fully convertible meant that at a certain point, uh, any investor that had a large quantity of pounds could take them all out of the country or convert them all into US dollars. Now, if one was to look at the, Amer the American economy in 1945 and the British economy in 1945, the American economy would be clearly the one um, to invest in. And um, in 1947, when convertibility is allowed, it allows for a huge drain of cash from British coffers, plunging Britain into the, the real post-war austerity that she, that she faces. The um, the loan seemed to be enough for Britain's purposes, um, and the um, uh, Halifax suggests giving uh, America use of British military bases in the UK. So um, the um, you, um, bases that America had used, particularly in East Anglia, to uh, bomb Germany, would now be used places like RAF Milton Hall. Um, and that kind of thing. And there are still US service personnel there today and US aircraft that fly from these bases today. Keynes also has to get Attlee's government in Great Britain on side and they have to send all manner of complicated telegraphs back to London uh, that probably only Keynes really understood the content of anyway. Um, the um, recipient of many of these um, telegraphs was the very down-to-earth uh, Ernest Bevin, who um, was quite open about the fact that he didn't get it. Um, the left of the Labour Party, uh, led by Nye Bevan, um, suggested that the, the, the loan was more trouble than it was worth and that we should be negotiating harder. The centre of the party, uh, Hugh Dalton and Clement Attlee, um, thought it was probably worthwhile taking the loan but found that they were kind of shocked by the cost of it um, and the, the negotiations um, eventually are concluded um, with the uh, the loan being being accepted and the accepting of the loan and, and of, of Keynes's um, 
work to accept the loan, really does shape an awful lot of the, the, the post-war era. It shows that um, the, the British economy, when convertibility happens, is thrown into crisis. And um, it's no coincidence that um, the nine years later, in 1956, when Britain um, has the uh, bright idea of becoming involved in the, the Suez fiasco, and the and and challenges, really American um, hegemony, um, in that part of the world, in the 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 Mediterranean and the the Middle East, uh, particularly hegemony, as the great decision making power of of the Cold War, the device that the Americans use against the British to pull them back into line, is a threat of a further run on the pound, which is something that Britain cannot stomach. Okay, so I hope you found that useful today, and if you did, and if you find the Explaining History podcast useful in general, we could really do with your support just at the moment with some of the um, the, the funding and hosting costs. Um, so we've got one of them crowdfunding thingies on the Explaining History Facebook page. Um, I'll put in a link along with this podcast. Um, any gen- any generous donations that you can give would be gratefully received. If, by the way, you've previously donated, please don't please don't donate again. You've been more than kind and more than generous, um, and your um, help has been gratefully gratefully received. So um, please don't feel you have to contribute if you if you've already given. Um, that's absolutely fine. Um, anyway, thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. We're coming up to the 100,000th uh, subscriber soon. When we do, there is going to be a free giveaway. Um, IB Taurus, our um, great pals in the publishing industry, have agreed to give away a mystery title, but more will be revealed in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that one. All the best. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.